0: Welcome to Sundial on WLRN. I'm Carlos Frias. There's no handbook for building a university from scratch, but if there if there were, Steve Fain would be one of the authors. He's one of Florida International University's founding professors, the original group that transformed an old airport near the Everglades into the fifth largest public university in the country. Today, FIU has campuses across South Florida, in Washington D.C., even internationally in China and Italy. But it wasn't like that when Steve got here in 1971. They brought him to discuss a job at a dusty construction site. There were shipping containers and old airplane parts lying around. It required some imagination. Steve was being given the chance to build a university from the ground up. He would help decide what was gonna be taught and how, what kind of school it would be. It was a blank canvas. And here we are more than 50 years later Steve was FIU's longest-serving faculty member, and he just retired. So let's talk about what it took to get here. Welcome, Steve. How are you doing, Carlos? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. So take us back to that day. They say, we got a job for you, my friend, and they take you out to this dusty field. Describe that scene to us. Well, let
1: me, let me start a little before that. Okay. I, was, I was in my office at Brooklyn College, where I was teaching, a young guy had my doctorate uh, two years and was putting, putting in this, my two and a half years at Brooklyn. When the phone rang and a voice said something like, you Steve Vane? And I said, yes. Uh, I got your name from Alice Mile and down here in Miami. And we want to turn an airport into a university and thought you might want to join us.
0: That sounded like a Miami Ponzi scheme to me. It's, I, a- <laughs> it's what it sounded
1: like. I thought it was a joke. People knew that I was looking to leave and I thought it was a joke and I ended up calling uh, my academic advisor and uh, my program advisor, and she said to me, you can trust that man with your life. That's G. Wesley Sowers. He is my friend, my trusted colleague. You can trust him. So I agreed to go to Florida.
0: Wow, okay, That uh, that was the first big leap.
1: I had been to Miami once before in my life, 1964. My wife and I came here for our honeymoon. And uh, we came here because we said this is one place where everybody we knows goes and we don't want to go there. So let's get this over with. We can always say we were there. We had three beautiful days and then we had two days of Cleo. My wife can honestly say that during her honeymoon, the earth moved and the roof was blown off the hotel.
0: Oh my God! You you guys lived through a hurricane on your <laughs> yes on your honeymoon. Yes. That was that was, was not like, a metaphor of any kind. No, no? <laughs> no,
1: no, that was not. So this was my first trip to Miami, you know, in like twenty years. Well, not sixty four in ten years. I got out of the airplane to meet Wes. He's he, I spent the night in the in the airport hotel, and the first thing that I realized when I walked out into the daylight. The sunshine was so amazing as compared to New York. It was so clear. It was like going to a great television movie or when they, when they upgraded the television color, you know, and you could, it was like we're getting cataracts. It was like,
0: wow! Life in Technicolor.
1: And then we drove to this place and he told me the story. Uh, he told me about Chuck Perry, this new president, this great guy, and then we drove out to a field
0: and you kept to, driving and you kept it, driving w- yes, and you kept driving we, west we, right yes
1: we and and there was this huge it's about 350 acre spe- piece of land treeless flat with a with a crane digging a hole and a build, one large building emerging and a bunch of uh some trailers around and about 12 i think it was uh, trucking containers like uh, put on ships you know like stacked one on top of the other and made into a building they sure that's it.
0: that's like the, all the kids think they invented that now the shipping
1: container uh. <laughs> they called it the modular building because okay. they're these modules that, that was the and and uh, in there I met these people and these this group of people and uh, I heard about Chuck Perry he wasn't there and these people talked about this guy like he was a saint hmm. they kept talking about his language and his vision and his whole it was really exciting and then this fellow named Paul Gallagher took me out onto a runway uh, we walked very far i was wearing a harris code harris code coat harris tweed coat That was my best coat my in, be- in, what, what but month, this is from new york what that, month was this this, more or was, or less. this was this was this was like april you know oh good it was hot as anything and i was sweating <laughs> i was sweating like albert brooks in that news movie where he's perspiring you can see i was just soaked in the skin and paul Galler looked at me and he swept his arm across the view and he said a great university will emerge on this site Wow. And I went to my called my wife and I said I want to come here, wow. and all my friends said I was crazy. What are you going to? You have no idea what it will be. How will this help your career? What are you going to do? It's a no nothing place. You ca- you have other jobs waiting for you. I had several others, and, and I said to Judy, "Well, we like to ski, but we'll come here, and in the summer we'll go to Colombia and we'll ski uh, to, yeah, uh, to uh, not Colombia. Um, um Braz- we'll go to Brazil and Chile." They have skiing, Chile has chi- skiing, and we'll go there and we'll ski, which it never happened. <laughs> but we agreed to come for two plans, years. Right. We agreed to come for two years.
0: Oh, so the original idea was come for two, years. two and, years. And that's a big leap because in academia, what you want is consistency, and tenure is very important. Well, and I'm a
1: curriculum theorist by training. Okay. And so one of the things that I brought to the job was the ability to, s- supposedly, the skill and knowledge how to build programs. So that's what I was gonna do, and that was like my research. That mm-hmm. was applied research, right? Mm-hmm. And there were about 100 people employed by FIU at the time. About, about 50 were academics, and the others were building. They had to build buildings, you had to get permits, you had to get architectural plans, you had to design traffic flows, a million things. And so <clears throat> your discipline wasn't important. You were thrown together. You had some work that just related, just related to the school or college you might be a part of, but then you had the whole university to work with. And it was amazing. I got to meet historians, philosophers, engineers, public health people, and we all began to talk. And it was exciting. It was more exciting than anything I had ever seen, I'd ever been involved with. And everybody had a vision, and this vision all fell
0: fell under an umbrella set up by this guy, Perry. So tell me about that vision, because I do think that to create physical structures requires a kind of vision, but also these these unseen intellectual ones this how is this going to be talk to me about the kind of university that you envisioned how was this going to be different from um or from you know Dade college at the time uh, you're
1: a, you're a young man so this may oh, be oh that's so nice th- of you to this say may be i love this guy already beyond, this may be beyond you but alvin toffler had published a book called future shock a few years before this mm. and people were talking about it and perry was stimulated by that kind of thinking. What was the idea in that book? What was Future Shock? That Future- change is occurring at a pace faster than we can accommodate. Oh. And it it's going to rapidly change. It sounds so silly now because you know it's true, you're living through it. If you are a young man with with children who are 5 or 6, you're looking at them and saying, "How do you learn a computer when you're just only 6 years old?" What is, you know, you're seeing all these changes. Well, we didn't ha- it wasn't the technology per se, but it was the concept of community change. So Perry said to us if you come here Perry, w-
0: Perry would be the university's first president
1: the youngest president in the history of the country I believe at the time at a public university wow. he was I think 31 years old he got here because he had done political favors that's a whole story it would take a whole show <laughs> but he had right. done political favors for Claude Kirk and Reuben Askew the leaving governor and the the ascending the ascending governor so the, the two guys supported give this u- university to this guy I got to stop, I got to tell you, because I now know what I didn't know then. The legislature of Florida knew that FIU would fail. Oh. Everyone in higher ed knew that FIU would fail. Knew inside quotes here, right? Yes, in quotes, air quotes, there you go. You look at the map of Florida and the history of the development of the universities. All of the universities are basically up north, the, 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 except and South Florida is in Tampa. Right. Draw a line, Central Florida is in, is in Orlando. And so one day they allowed South Florida to get a university, they gave them FAU. FAU is on an airport just like FIU, but theirs is a very different airport. It's a very different community.
0: Near Boca Raton
1: at the It's area. in Boca, right, mm-hmm. correct. Uh, and they were supposed to open with a large, robust enrollment. They hired famous faculty to work there. And frankly, they had trouble filling their classes. They had a lot of trouble. They were, when, when I came to Miami in 71, they were teaching extension courses across the state, from to, to the west coast and the east coast, and down south, all over, trying to build enrollment. They knew that if and Miami had been clamoring for over thirty years for for a university, and Bob Graham's father was a senator, was trying to get the university legislative approve. Oh, never mind, it never went anywhere.
0: And and this so, is this is an important point because Miami did not have did not have a, a public university uh, right. at that level. Correct. It had uh, the two-year the junior college. Largest, it largest
1: community college in the country, I think it was, mm-hmm. or one of them, if it wasn't the largest, Miami-Dade. Miami-Dade. Before it was just Miami Community College then, I believe. Cool. Anyway, so they had, we had this backlog of students and everything, and Perry took this position when he came. He said, "We're not. this is not an elite university. This is an open university. We're here to serve an underserved population we are going to take the community in and be part of the university. We're not separate from the university, we're of Miami. Everybody bought that. Perry also had had some things in in, in education, if you came, we had some rules you had to agree to if you're gonna work in education, like no class time limits. Students could pass a course in two weeks if they could demonstrate and move on. Self-pacing for your academic program. For the whole university, we had no grades. At that time, New College didn't exist in the public sector. So we were the only university around that had no grades. Pass or fail. That's what we did. What was the point of that? Well, why should grades get in the way of progress? Hmm. These are interesting people. The average age of our incoming students would be higher than most. We're going to address this population. We're going to give them credit for life experience. We're going to figure out, have them tell us what they've done and see what we can do in terms of translating that into credit towards an academic degree.
0: What did that mean for a population? Like what, how would that affect the student population when you're offering that kind of environment? Well,
1: we had a goal of enrolling approximately 3,000 students for opening day. Okay. Now, prior that to seems this- seems like a big number, it's FAU. A big, and- it's a big number, that's right. And that's right, if we could hit 3,000, it would be, we'd be heroic. So what did we do with Perry's encouragement and direction? We went to Dayland, we went to Aventura, we went to the youth fair, we went to a rodeo, Are they maybe two rodeos, we went to any place, uh, car shows. Recruiting we trips. Went all over the county with pamphlets and descriptions and bumper stickers that said, FIU in 72, FIU in 72. Oh, that's so, catchy, that's catchy, uh, I catchy. like that. We had a year to do this, we, I, I mean I came, I came my contract was September 1st, 71. I actually came August 15th. But that's a whole other story. Anyway, we went to all these places and we said, what kind of university do you want? And they would tell us their story. and We would say, ah, oh, we have something that might fit you. Let me explain what we have. And we're only taking you know juniors and seniors. So you have an AA degree, right?
0: But oh, you're starting with people who, only, who um, may have already graduated from, from Miami-Dade.
1: Correct, I didn't ah. say that, but you're right. So we're an upper division university and we're allowed also offer some very limited graduate programs in what they were calling the urban professions, teaching, nursing, or health or something, things like that. Mm-hmm. So we went around to all these people. <clears throat> come September, it's time to open school. This is the big test.
0: How many people are going to show up? By How many people time, are going to come
1: register? By the time enrollment for the first day was closed, we had over 5,600 registrants.
0: Wow, you had almost doubled your expectation. Your now high, let me tell you what watermark. that,
1: let me tell you what that did. This is when I learned. I'm a romantic. I love the academic life. I have a very expensive cap and gown to walk uh, with on a on graduation day to get into the, just, I love playing Brahms academic when we walk in. I love that stuff, okay? Well, we had this academic institution that had been foreign to all these people, and we were changing that costume. We were making our university of the moment, not simply of the 1400s. Right. It was a different kind of university.
0: You were creating culture.
1: And we had to suddenly deal with this huge number of people who had signed up. We had to have we had to have classes in Carl Park High School. We had classes in other in other high schools. We had classes every place you could imagine. We only had one functioning building in which we had the library, the administration, classrooms, the nurse, the health student office. I mean, every, finance, everything you can imagine. That's what we had. They called it the PC Primarkasa, the first building. It it was everything. And the rest was just spread out all over the place. And yeah. you know what? It was so exciting. The students turned out to be hungry learners, almost without exception. You know, you ha- and you know what else? We were diverse. We were diverse from the beginning. The idea of a diversified student body was never a challenge to FIU, although we always made it a challenge. We never said we're diverse enough. We never said we're open enough. We always recognized that from the beginning, and we tried to do the same thing with our hiring, of our, building our faculty and staff. So you bring people down from the northeast or from midwest and they'll come to FIU and they'll walk around and say, "How did you do this? I I just how do you get this climate here?" I don't
0: know, it's just always here. Well, we're going to we're going to figure out, we're going to talk more about how you built that climate, but we're going to take a little break. We're talking with Steve Fain. He's one of the founding professors at Florida International University. He worked there for over 50 years and just retired last week. We'll be back in a minute. And we're back on Sundial on WLRN. This is Carlos Frias. Our guest today is Steve Fain. He's one of the founding professors at Florida International University. And we've been talking about how he built, helped build a university from scratch. And Steve, you were saying that, that at the very beginning, diversity was baked into the foundation of building the school. Yes. And, and that's, I think, something we see in FIU today. How did you guys go about doing that? Like, how did you specifically, in very specific ways, go about trying to create a very diverse community at the school
1: well there were two factors one was the community that was graduating from miami-dade that needed these upper division degrees was pretty diverse okay so give me an
0: example like what kind of what kind of folks well
1: we had we had we had lots of people who were latin every everybody thinks everybody at fiu who is quote latin is cuban so we had diversity among our Latin population,
0: right? Not, which is one of the few places to really recognize that early on. It's yes. not just a, it's not a monolith. Yes.
1: We also had we also had outreach efforts. We went into uh, Little Haiti, we went into Overtown. We wanted to have, we went down to Richmond Heights. We wanted to make sure that people knew about the opportunities. And we were we never were satisfied that we had achieved perfect diversity, that, that, right. so people can challenge us all the time. Sure. But, but the effort was there always to, to bring people in and to try to recognize them. Um, the, the faculty played a, played a big role in this, although the, the, the themes or the, the messages came from the administration, they were very open to this. We didn't talk about elitism, we talked about access.
0: Oh, so it's a, graduate, I mean, graduate,
1: graduate, graduate competent people, don't keep out people who haven't yet had a chance to show they could be competent, hmm. which is something that we believe that. You know, we were all fifties product, seventy young guys, basically. You know what I mean? It was a, it was a very much of the moment. We were of the of the future shock moment, pushing into a future we weren't sure of. I, I got to tell you a story. When they when we started, we, one of the things we had was wonderful Wednesday. We didn't have classes on Wednesdays.
0: Oh, that is wonderful. We had okay. we
1: had. Intense classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and that was because uh, uh, Monday, t- Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, we had these intense classes then because we we had a st- uh, students who worked. A lot of students worked or were, 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 were uh, had, took care of their kids and had other obligations. Mm-hmm. They, didn't, they didn't go off to school and, and and start a college experience. They were living their lives and fitting this in. And we wanted to capture that energies and it turned out to be really exciting. Um, uh, So we had this wonderful Wednesdays and on Wednesdays we would have different things. So this is, I think this is, you get a sense of it. We would sometimes have entertainment acts that would show up, you know. And one day there was a group of people, about four or five guys, with a, like an old-fashioned cart, um, a wagon, a, like a stagecoach. I don't know. Like the guy who sold soap uh, liquor on the back. You know, you've seen these, uh, these liquor salesmen, whatever they call them. Uh, I forget. Soap, op, soap salesmen or something. No, that's not what they call them. But anyway, this one was all painted up like a circus wagon. Okay. And there were these like four or five guys in it, and they came out and they did tricks. And you know what the name of the group was? What's that? Circus Olay.
0: Oh come on! No, honest to God, these Soleil? No,
1: they grew up too.
0: Wow, that is amazing.
1: <laughs> they were just a troop of acrobats. And that
0: is, a, uh, so they were they South Florida based. Or I have they, no idea. You have somebody, no idea. They were somebody just booked there. them. You know, the entertainment <laughs> producer. What do I know? In student government, in student uh, activities. Well, FIU has always—I mean, I think—quietly been. Kind of this this haven for folks uh, like you said who, who are working already in the in the real world and working to to advance their degrees and and what have you. I'm thinking of uh, 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 Jonathan Escoffrey who we had the author not too long ago, who talked about working at FIU while he was while he was working, you know, and, and, and are coming to study at FIU while well, he was working. So we, that, we that very much at the ethos. Yeah, of yeah, the school. we're not we're not elitist. We're of the people of the community.
1: Well, one of the things that I think is wrong, though is uh, as we evolved and people got to know our academic uh, significance Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people think that we're the school for the underprivileged and a school for the poor people which isn't true it may be cheaper to go to fiu than it is to go to uh, go to duke you know it may be cheaper it may be cheaper than the university of miami it may be cheaper it may be I don't know if it's cheaper to go to Gainesville because living in Miami is more expensive, it was anyway, than living in Gainesville, but it's, it's, people th- a lot of people think of it as inexpensive. No, it's not that inexpensive. We have a lot of students on Pell Grants, mm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of students who work. We also have a lot of students, though, now who live on campus. We started, the, pres- uh, the third president, Gregory Wolf, opened up dormitories on our Bay Vista campus, North Miami campus, and that began residential life. And now we have, I don't know, several thousand students living on campus in dormitories, I think I'm I'm right. And across the street in Sweetwater, we have huge apartment houses that are being built for students. Uh, That's, you know, we, as you pointed out, we're the fifth largest university in the country now. Um, And and, uh, it's not because we don't attract people who want to live there. And every, you know, but there are a lot of people who come who have jobs, who live in Miami. And that integration makes for a very special
0: academic experience. Because you have the mix of uh, people coming from out of state and the folks who are locals or it's kind of this broad range.
1: Take Take any one of the courses in the social sciences and just imagine the dialogue you can have as students share their varied experiences with a theory that a professor puts on the table. When everybody's from Florida or when everybody's basically the same, how exciting is it? How insightful is it? What do you go away with that makes you a new person as opposed to just reinforces your old attitudes? okay? Recognizing people of different economic strata as, a, as colleagues in a class, having lunch with them. That, that's a whole different experience. It's not just the classroom. Come to FIU, walk around. Too many people in Miami have not been to FIU. It's quite amazing when you meet people who for the first time come out. How is that different from where you were coming from? Oh, it's remarkably different. I, I grew up going to campuses of two and 300-year-old universities. Mm. I grew up I grew up in a home where the most respected people in the world were like major politicians and rabbis.
0: Hmm.
1: They were like, had deserved, and the second most respected people were teachers. And the professor type teacher, the university teacher was like, oh my God. I had a cousin who taught at Temple University. He had a doctorate and he taught there. And my other students went to medical school and that's all they did was become a doctor, but Bobby was a physical chemist he taught it and, and I. so I came to the university in awe of the university I, I had to get I had to come down a little bit over the years I learned the political realities like, like why FIU had to fight since its opening when we were so well respected in 71 and welcomed by everybody and after that large class I told you about mm-hmm. for, we had to watch our backs nobody wanted FIU to succeed that much now I'm going to tell you something very few people know Okay, you ready for this? Yeah, discussion? I'm ready. Okay. Just the two of us here. Just the two of us. <laughs> in the tower, the old airport tower, Charles Perry convened the first faculty meeting in September of 1971. And he told us the following. Remember what FI is, FIU is. One, we are an upper division university. We only serve juniors and seniors and a few professions. And then with a wink, he said, and we'll never have freshmen and sophomores. And a wink again, and we'll never have doctoral programs. He said, okay. Number
0: yep. two. And what was he, what was he trying to the really wink. say there? Uh-huh.
1: Well, and the wink, okay? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the wink was, we'll never be um, a residential university. We'll always be a university that serves only the locals in Miami-Dade County like. And he winked. Hmm. And then he said, and absolutely never we will never have a football team and he winked (laughs) and we knew that it was our job never to say these things because these things could sink us if we said we were going to open to freshmen and sophomores the community college system would have been very angry if oh, we said you were, you we, we're a threat to the existing, if we were going to have full academic programs, the University of Miami would not want us in their neighborhood. They've been resisting us the, the development of a university in Miami for years. Hmm. Okay, and and the other state universities wouldn't want us either because they were taking a lot of these kids who were graduating. If we if Miami Dade stopped sending their kids to to FSU and to Gainesville, that would be a could be a big loss.
0: You it know, was it because they because it's always been about a competition well, for dollars. For I educational
1: didn't life. know that. Mm-hmm. I thought the universities were pure. I thought this was a wholesome collective endeavor. You were, I, you were how old at the time? I, I was thirty-one years old. Okay, thirty-one years old. And I I learned by the time I was thirty-five, I understood it was competitive, and it was that was a disappointing reality. But I didn't let it. None of us let us stop it.
0: I'm curious, you know, after you grow up in that, and you establish a university, you were here on a two-year contract. No, just my wife and I. Oh, in your mind, made huh. a deal. <laughs> you know? all right. So, in your mind, you thought two yeah, years, two years, and so at the end of two years, you couldn't leave. Huh? Couldn't leave. Why?
1: What was it that every time you turned around, it was something new and exciting happening? Hmm. Every time you turned around, we were adding a program. I mean, before people talked about this stuff, we had programs to deal with migrant workers. Oh, tell me about that. Well, there were, there were children and there were workers' families in a homestead mm-hmm. and in Belgrade who had no schooling, who had no opportunities. We, we sent people to them to begin to, te- to teach them. I worked with the Miccosukee. I helped in the development of their high school. Uh, I, I wasn't alone. I, I didn't do anything alone. This, was, this is a, the, the word synergy, you know, this is a synergetic enterprise. There have been presidents But there is a group of people that make up FIU that collectively are powerful, powerfully committed to helping
0: the communities. And it's interesting that you guys did things like that, like even from the beginning and started sending people out because I think that's one of the things that people notice about FIU is that it's got a presence throughout South Florida and different campuses and what have you. You were sending people to migrant communities? Sure, sure. There were
1: four founders of the university, okay? And and, and Perry, of course, was the, the pinnacle of it all. Butler Wall was this really smart, engaging guy who understood higher ed and the values, had great beliefs. He was one of the champions of the no grading that we started out with mm-hmm. and, uh, and and, and uh, certain kinds of academic requirements that got made people uh, broader, broader, you know, broadened their vision of the world. Mm-hmm. We had a great financial guy, Don McDowell, you know. And then we had this guy, Nick Saleo, And nobody knew what he did.
0: (laughs) That sounds like somebody, that sounds like a Miami job. But now
1: we know (laughs) what he did. He was the advanced man. He knew the leaders of the religious communities that served the most underserved people. Hmm. And he helped construct the pipeline between the university and people in Overtown, and people in Homestead, and people all over South Florida who. We're not among those who are generally
0: counted. What did that mean to you to see that, to see that FIU really did reach into these communities and it wasn't just a promise that somebody had made emptily, you know, to it you was, two years before? It was the moment. Remember, I went to college in the 50s. I, it didn't
1: seem like anything out of the ordinary. It sounded, it felt like something special. Let me clarify what I mean. Our mindset, the guys I work with, just assumed that the university ought not to build a wall between the community, but to step out into the community and bring people in. We had knowledge to share and things to learn from these communities. So we wanted to be engaged, where other places wanted to be aloof. We weren't aloof, so it didn't, wasn't surprising. It wasn't like you came home and you said to your wife, oh my God, you wouldn't believe it, we went into a community today. You say, let me tell you about this guy I met. It was mm. amazing. He never went to college and he could do A, B, C, and D, and, and he thought if he could get a degree, and we found a way to connect that's what you said and you didn't say god that would never have happened at brooklyn college you just said that's what we did today
0: right and and uh, <coughs> that's interesting because i mean we are still talking about 1971 in, Pretty much. in the deep south honestly 70
1: to 75 this was there that's right so
0: uh, did you did you see a uh, A diversity of opinions of people pushing the other way folks saying maybe this is quote unquote too diverse there are too many too many of these latins and too many of these black people there were two
1: things things that that there was disagreement upon that i remember we had we i was involved in forming faculty governance which is in my conception a major part of a university so we had two issues we worked with the president we had three but one i dismissed very quickly i'll tell you about later one was should the police on campus have guns Oh that was that was a, a, that was a, a major question. issue and should they be dressed like policemen or like in blue blazers and just security officers should we keep it low key do we want it to look like a military institution now that, now, now we have a police force on campus we have you know i don't know 50,000 students and police force It's very that, common th- now, th- then the we didn't have a but. police force <laughs> we ended up having unarmed cops in gray pants and blue blazers and then said fyu security you know, on their patch. What, what, was those dis- what was that discussion like? It was just like the discussion we have today about guns. Mm-hmm. It was, the, only it was, we had an abundance of people who were 50s people, 60s people, who, who uh, uh, sang Joan Baez songs and were very much of that period and very willing to ag- ag- uh, aggregate and become, try to become a force. We had people who were into women's liberation and we want to have rules like that. We, we had something that was very unusual. We hired husbands and wives, couples for academic uh, jobs,
0: which was which was unusual. I that
1: think. was unusual. Usually, a husband and wife team didn't get hired at the university. Sometimes, a really great professor could get a trailing spouse p- position. To get Harry Johnson, we take his wife, you know. Sometimes, or mm-hmm. take take his wife maybe, and we take Harry Johnson. But it was, but we didn't do that. We took qualified people and put them in jobs. I don't remember any husband and wife t- that was hired because. To get one, we hired the other. They were good people, and we, and we let them work. And they were good. And in fact, in English, to the two Elkins, husband and wife, worked in the same department. Hmm. And nobody ever said anything wrong about it. I mean, that was okay, you know?
0: So, you, so the first big discussion you have is, do we want to police uh, That, that was one of the first. One of the first.
1: How about grading? Grading. Are we comfortable with this? We're trying out this no grades. Is it working? We ended up coalescing with student government. The students were furious about it. Because they would graduate, they wouldn't have a GPA. Oh, and that how was, would they get a job?
0: Or go go to grad school?
1: Or go to grad school, but more even. How do I get a job? Because mm. remember, this was this this mass of people from the community college. They they were they they were very practical in their orientation as a, as a group. So we ended up going from no grade, just pass or fail, to. We worked with the students
0: and we tried high
1: pass, pass, and fail.
0: Hmm.
1: That that didn't work.
0: No. <laughs> then, <laughs> After you get to that point, you've almost started grading.
1: Then, then we went to eventually went to A, B, C, and D. I helped. I was chair of the fen- senate at the time, and I worked with student government to achieve that kind of grading. But that still wasn't enough. They wanted pluses and minuses. The students now wanted pluses and minuses. B pluses. You know, A yes, plus. A plus. Well. <laughs> That was very interesting and the faculty held the line and we never gave an A plus and we still don't give an A plus. There's no grade higher than a four. There's no, you can't can't graduate FIU with an 8.7 average on a four point scale. We don't do that. Like, you meet these kids that went to high school, and they have higher numbers than the grading system. I don't know how that works.
0: I'm curious, you know, your background. You said that education was, was such a force in your home. It was a, it was such a revered thing. Where did that come from? What did your folks do? How did how did that become such an important influence in you your ask
1: life? You asked me a question, and I'm, I know I'm here for only an hour, but I'm, I'm going to tell you a story to answer your question. I love that. My dad... Came to visit he was very sick with a terminal disease i'm sorry i was working on his house many years ago <laughs> i was working on the house we used to work together on projects he was sitting on a little stool and i was up fixing a molding or something and i looked down and my father had tears running down his face we are a traditional third generation immigrant family my, my parents first language was not english it was yiddish their parents came from either russia or romania so we're here i look down at my father and i see these tears running down his face and a big smile on his face and i said what's up dad what's the matter and he said oh i'm just thinking my son has a doctorate teaches at a university my daughter's married to a man who has a doctorate teaches at a university my other son has a doctorate teaches at a university my youngest son is getting a doctorate and plans to teach at a university four doctors no patience. Am I a success or a failure? <laughs> <laughs> my parents thought it was clean, honest, vitally important work. And they taught that to us in their, we never had conversations about it per se, They, mm-hmm. but that's how they acted. And we knew how special this was. And none of us thought we were ever capable. Well, I don't know about my brother-in-law, but my, my, my brothers and I never really thought we were capable and lucky enough to be able to do this. And each of us found our way, like, you know, just because we kept plodding through, doing our work, engaging, we worked hard, and we liked it, and there we were. It, nobody start, started off when they said to their guidance counselor in high school, I want to be a
0: college professor, no. What, what did your dad do for a living? Mom and dad, what did they do?
1: My dad was a, graduated from pharmacy school, ended up working in the textile and business and the garment business. And his one dream in life about employment was that his children would never work in the garment district. Oh, wow. He didn't think it was an honorable business. He didn't like it. He, he got in it late as a result of certain things, and he, economics said it's a good place to earn money, but he, he didn't like the experience. He liked, he liked the fact that we were in what he saw as a clean business, you know, a helpful business, an ethical business, a business where you help people in their lives. That's what, what was so important to them.
0: We're going to take a little break here, uh, but we're going to talk about what you helped build. Uh, We're speaking with Steve Fain, who's one of the founding professors at Florida International University. He's retiring after 50 years. We'll be back with Steve in just a second. We're back on Sundial. This is Carlos Frias, and we're speaking with Steve Fain, one of FIU's founding professors. So, Steve you come from New York we've heard some New York stories so give us your Miami credentials why are you a Miami guy now
1: I'm a that's a I'm a Miami guy I honestly I'm a, I'm a Miami guy because of FIU. huh I I began to see the area from the perspective of the university so the diversity of the cultures you know during the breaks they're playing Cuban music mm-hmm. okay when I was a kid I was a good dancer and uh, I could do Latin dances, uh, and in the New York area at the time, Latin dancers dances were done by two groups of people primarily, uh, Jews and Puerto Ricans. Okay. Okay. That was the group that danced to you know we had the Tinto Puente you know and yeah and the par- of course and the Xavier pointe. Xavier Cougart. they were the big popular when I was growing up they, they they were the big bands, and they taught us we danced to their music. And so I grew up in this very uh, traditional New Jersey old colonial revolutionary war town where the women's club had a cotillion, invited all high school kids to go to the cotillion to learn the dances that we needed to know. The waltz, the foxtrot, uh, the rumba was the exotic dance. The rumba box step we learned. And if you were had a really nice lady who was in charge, she let you dance the polka. Okay, <laughs> that, was the, that was what you learned. I at did cotillion. not know you could dance to the polka. Yes. But oh, okay. yes, definitely. But I... Learned to dance the jitterbug and the Latin dances, and so I taught them to my friends who thought they were Jewish dances, because so in, in the 50s they didn't they didn't they didn't know anything else. That's you went to the borscht belt, you went to the Jewish clubs, you went to the Jewish weddings and bar mitzvahs. People danced the mambo and the cha-cha. People danced the merengue.
0: So you came to Miami knowing how to speak the language, so I to speak. How, the, I the like Spanish. that stuff. I like and I love the music. <laughs> the music
1: Afro-Cuban jazz is something I like from. The 50s, I discovered that. Well, the band like the
0: band Palo, uh, who's an Afro-Cuban uh, funk band, does our theme music. So, yes, so I, did you speak Spanish when you came down? No, no. So what was that
1: like? That was a mistake that I made, and I'll tell you why. And I, I can tell you this, and it's probably a mistake. I grew, grew up in a family that first spoke Yiddish. And my father's family was very, very exceptionally proud of being American.
0: Hmm and what do you mean and why, why when was i it? was
1: four or five years old my grandfather a russian immigrant to miami who was uh, worked for a yiddish speaking newspaper still being printed the yiddish newspaper they still print today he was the first first printer for that paper what was it called daily forward okay the forward and uh the forward yeah he um he was sitting on a park bench with me in prospect park in brooklyn in an overcoat with his tie on and his hat you've seen pictures of it This guys in the in the 40s the old men sitting there that's that was the recreation and a man walked up to talk to him. My grandpa, grandpa had, he had five sons. Um, one was my father, who was a college graduate. Two, three others that worked, had good jobs, and one who quit school, because he didn't get, make the baseball team the youngest, and he was a real son of a gun and crazy guy, and he joined the army. And in 1945, 46, this, this, this occurred. Oh, wow. Man asked my father to tell him about his background, and my grandfather said to him, My son is an officer in Europe in the United States Army. Wow, That's what he said. Because, and he told me how important it was to be a citizen of the greatest country in the world. And his family spoke Yiddish. He and his wife spoke Yiddish mostly, but his boys mostly spoke English. Because you have to be an American. So I come here and I had, a, I had a hair, and I had a, my beard was full. I had a lot of trouble when we would go into town. I would get people come up, put their finger in my face, say, Castro, Castro. They didn't like my beard. Oh, they
0: didn't like your beard. They didn't like my
1: beard at all. Oh, interesting. That was interesting. And I said, I am gonna resist this. I am an American. Welcome to my land. I treat you like a person. Don't do that to me. I won't turn it around to do it to you. And somehow I got that in my mind, and I resisted learning Spanish. So now I can understand Spanish a lot when you talk to me in Spanish, but I, I resisted it. It was a mistake. Did
0: you, did, did, <laughs> it was a mistake. <laughs> did being, uh, a, you know, son of, of kind of recent issue, immigrants in other the immigrant story was still very strong in your family. Sure. Did that help as you were trying to found FIU? Did had was nothing, that...
1: to, it had nothing to do with it. Uh-huh. It's just, I probably did have something, to, I mean, it, I, it. It's a, it's it's not true. It had everything to do with it, I suppose. But uh, consciously, it wasn't. A se- my I did not live a segregated life. I knew I was unique because of my Jewishness mm-hmm. within the Jewish community. I was unique because we were Litfox or Romanians, depending. Everybody. you know, if you're an ethnic, you know what I'm talking about. You can translate that to your community. Your parents come from a particular place. The other people, they're not so good. They're <laughs> this.
0: You, <laughs> right, you know, right. a lot of uh, a lot of nationalism well, and ethnics, regionality. Ethnics
1: sure. don't understand how much they have in common. What I learned was how typical all these different ethnic groups were. Excuse me, how similar they were while they claimed uniqueness. And you said, if you guys got together you all have distant cousins that you know. You all come late to events. You all, <laughs> you all have the woman who wants to throw herself into the grave when the husband dies. You all share. And everybody says, you're right, you're right. But they don't understand the similarities. And I like that part of it. I never felt you were that different, even if you didn't have my language. I didn't have a problem with that.
0: Was there, was there a time, um, there must have been a time over the course of 50 years where you had the opportunity to leave FIU? Did you ever come close? Yes, I told you, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, um, I
1: was interviewing for a job. I, had been ang- I was angry at, a, at, at, at something that happened at school, and I, told, I, I called Columbia, and I said, activate my place and file. And a few weeks later, I'm in front of the dean, of. I'm a finalist, in front of the president of Baruch College in New York, having a, a meeting, I'm a finalist for the deanship there. Okay. And to make a long story short, things were going very well in the interview when I suddenly realized at that point I couldn't leave FIU. Oh, wow. I just I just realized I'm not going anywhere. I got to fight my battles in my my own home backyard and straighten it out, find my place, find their place. I got to go come back. And I never again thought about going anywhere. That was about 25, 30 years ago.
0: And now that you've seen FIU become what it is, what are you most proud of? Or what are the, some of the things that you're proud of to see FIU having become
1: well for uh, you know I, I have many students who are doing well because they went to FIU not, not because of me per se because they went to FIU they used it effectively and efficiently they were able to change their status you know FIU is ranked fourth in the nation as a performer in social media social mobility excuse mm-hmm. me in other words we help change students' economic and social position in the country by virtue of the fact that they're FIU graduates. Hmm. You know, people say, well, you go to Harvard, you get, that's true, Harvard and Stanford are probably the two, the two of the schools that are ahead of us, but our students come in at one economic level, and the studies tell us that they do exceptionally well. They rise, they find positions. Go to Washington, and you go to Washington, D.C., and FIU has this thriving alumni association in Washington, D.C. All over government work, all kinds of positions. So being a part of that is really exciting. But the more, most exciting thing about FIU for me is I see my 50 years as the beginning. Mm. And I see this moment, as, and, and, and this moment is now not, not, not the end. It's the end of the beginning
0: it's the it's the first act
1: and yeah and we are now established we are creditable nobody says fi who anymore <laughs> y- you know and 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 yes we need to improve our athletics uh, so that we can be what florida thinks is the main ca- criteria for judging a uh, uh, an academic institution you know the quality <laughs> of your football team but no no if you check fiu you know when you find out you look you look up a Our Model UN is one of the most successful things in the country. We've competed against the most prestigious schools there are, Chicago, Harvard, Stanford, and we've won. Where do these kids come from? Well, they come from FIU. And let me tell you a story. Lady came to me to help her, something I was doing with international students, and she wanted to meet, get involved with the Model UN program. She wanted to use our students, pay them to come work for a special project that UNESCO was putting together. And she wanted to meet John Stack, who was then the dean, founding dean of, the, of, of not only the SIPA, but also of the, the Model UN program. And I got them together. And John is a very particular guy. And she asked him, what is so, why is FIU so unique? Why do, you, why do your students do so well? What, what do you do to make these guys? And John said very reflectively, well, this is exactly what he said. I mean, I'll never forget it. Well, at FIU, Performance trumps privilege every time. And if you asked me to sum up FIU in a snappy little phrase, that's what I would tell you. Your dad doesn't buy your way through FIU. Your social connections are nice, but they don't buy your way through FIU. And, and people who come down and they look at FIU suddenly realize if they know anything about higher ed, we're not a sleepy Southern university. Excuse my language. We're a kick-ass academic establishment, and we are. We are a solid. It's really something that makes you proud if you value higher ed. What do you want to see next for FSU? What would you like the
0: the second act to be?
1: Well, I'm waiting for the um, the alumni to become more supportive of the university. Um, it's 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 not it's not their fault. It's not their fault. Many of the people went through the university. We didn't we didn't invest. As much as we should have probably in helping people appreciate the university the way some of the more prestigious schools do with hazing and different kinds of activities we don't we're we're, we're getting there but now people are taking pride and you can see the um, the alumni association now beginning to get a pulse beginning beginning to grow and i'm looking for that because i think more of them being panthers in the community will bring people to the university to see fine theater, listen to great music, see interesting art, see our museums, the Wolfsonian, the Frost, the Jewish Museum, find out what's going on at Umbus, the architectural thing down on, on Miami Beach. There's a pulse. There's something about that is special. Yeah, we have a campus in Fort Lauderdale. Yes, we have something in, in Italy or in China. Yes, we. but locally, we have things that as people begin to take more interest in FIU who don't know it and and that's what the alumni interface will do I'm looking for that I'm looking for that that connection
0: the university as an entity dynamite well Steve before we have to end I want to ask you what's next for you I understand that uh learning to fly a plane is is uh is on deck and which is appropriate considering the school was founded (laughs) at an airport I never thought
1: of that I uh uh, because of my son I developed the tradition when I was 60 to do something special every fifth year so 60 he and I went to race car driving school at 65 I flew a glider at 70 uh let's see flew a glider yeah 70 at 75 I jumped out of an airplane wow at 80 I signed up for this thing where you fly little jet airplanes little uh, propeller driven fighter planes and you shoot at each other in the sky it was called air combat and I was planning at 80 to fly but COVID came So I didn't get to 85, uh, 80 to fly. I didn't get to my 80th flying thing. So I'm going to do that this year. And I'm going to take off. My goal is to, I I don't need to fly to Chicago. I want to get into a single engine plane, run down the the runway, take it off, fly around for 20 minutes and land it all by myself. That's what I want to do.
0: Well, Steve, (laughs) Steve, I and play a little golf. (laughs) I sincerely hope you get to do all those things. Steve Fain is one of the founding professors of Florida International University, the longest-serving FIU faculty member, and he retired last week after 50 years. Steve, thank you so much for being with us today. And, that's, and that's Sundial for Tuesday, January 17th. Leslie Ovaye atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Our engagement editor is Katie Lepre Cohen. Our digital editor is Mateo Sanchez. Katie Munoz is our interim managing editor, and our senior news editor is Jessica Bakeman. Peter J. Merz is WLRN's vice president of radio and Sundial's engineer. Like that theme music? That's the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. Uh, if you missed any part of our conversation, you can download a podcast of this program. Search WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. There's no sundial tomorrow. We're preempted by the Miami-Dade County School Board meeting. We'll be back Thursday with another live program. We'll be speaking with the writer and creator of the comedy series The Gordita Chronicles. It's the story of a young girl whose family leaves the Dominican Republic in the 1980s and moves to Hialeah. I'm Carlos Frias. Thanks for listening. Public Media.